Welcome to Phil and Ted's Sexy Boomer Show with your hosts, Phil Proctor and Ted Bonnet. Phil and Ted's guest is artist, screen actor, and master impressionist, Jim Meskimen. And now, your Sexy Boomer hosts, Phil Proctor and Ted Bonnet. Welcome to Phil and Ted's Sexy Boomer Show. I'm Ted Bonnet. And I'm Rocky Rococo, you stupid fool. Proctor is locked in the closet back there. Oh, he'll never get out now. <laughs> Okay. All right, Rocky, get the hell out of the room. Get your hands off me. Okay, good. Thanks for bringing him along. Yeah, well, I am Phil Proctor. No, I am Phil Proctor. I'm terribly sorry about that, especially to our guests over here. First of all, I want to introduce Christopher Walken. Hello, Phil. How are you? I'm, I'm good. It's good, good to, to be see here. you, Chris. Yeah. Thank you. And you're going to do a little dancing for us later. We'll do a little dance. Kind of, kind of rug. That's great. And we're very happy to have Morgan Freeman here. Hello, Phil. It's you're always a pleasure. Oh well, you're going to tell us something about working with Clint Eastwood, I believe, right? You betcha. I'm going to lay everything out. I can't wait to I'm hear this. Withhold those. nothing at all. Sorry. And and now, really, a, a very special and surprise guest, Robin Williams. Oh, oh, well, it is a big, big surprise. You know, when someone dead shows up. It's a bit shocking, right? I wanted to ask you about mm. that. Is there comedy in the in the life beyond? It's only comedy. You see everything for what it is. You know, it's all just a strange dichotomy of true and false, right and wrong, black and white. It's like it's like the real estate in Tarzana. <laughs> D- does God have a sense of humor? He's a funny guy. He's a funny guy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and finally, uh, Colonel. Oh, the Colonel. Uh, yeah, Colonel Sanders. Uh, I thought you never uh, never introduced me. We had all those other Hollywood types up ahead of me. Well, well, uh, it's more appropriate. <laughs> Thing to introduce an entrepreneur. Absolutely right. And uh, thanks for bringing the chicken. You bet you. I yeah. hope you enjoy it. But I understand you kicked the bucket. <laughs> Go. Many times. <laughs> Many times. And, and one of the wonderful things about having you here, Colonel, is that uh, I've enjoyed your interviews with uh, modern celebrities. Mm-hmm. Uh, those, uh, their phone calls, basically, yeah. from beyond the grave, I uh, imagine, or the gravy. Beyond the gravy. Beyond the gravy, right. yeah. Yeah, definitely. And Beyond the biscuit. They're fascinating. And you can see them uh, among the other videos that our special guest, Jim Meskimen. Uh, take off your mask and oh. say hello. <laughs> there it's it me. is. It's me. Jim Meskimen, the man of a thousand <laughs> voices, uh, the one and many. Uh, a dear friend <laughs> and a, 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 an amazing talent. And uh, one of the things that's so much fun about knowing Jim is that you can see his characters and his genius on a very regular basis. <laughs> uh, he he posts videos at uh, uh, well, actually on YouTube, just on YouTube, on and, YouTube. and Instagram. I'm on uh, on Instagram. I'm at, at Jim Pressions, and uh, on YouTube, you just look up. Jimpressions or Meskimen, and, and you'll find it. Hundreds and hundreds of videos. I think it's thousands at this point, because I do at least one video a day, which is my celebrity fortune cookie. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, my daughter helps me with this. Uh, we we conceived that we needed to make uh, regular uh, you know appearances on YouTube, and that perhaps then the algorithm would smile on us, and we would you know just make more friends and, and have more success that way didn't really turn out to be true but huh. we uh, it didn't seem to make any difference at all to the algorithm which is probably kept in a very secret place top of a mountain somewhere mm-hmm. in, in Bali. under a mountain i'm learning that if you put links to your website mm-hmm. on youtube they're gonna suppress you they don't want people leaving youtube oh really yeah. there is a video we saw last night it must have been tough when robin williams 
past right. to be able to cross that bridge. And you did it in this beautiful way. You yeah. wrote a poem. Yeah. Well, Robin passed away, and we, it, that's like one of those days that you just don't forget where, where you were and who told you and all that kind of stuff. Right. And it was just so counterintuitive and unexpected. Yep. And uh, I remember a fellow told me over the phone, I'm like, what? No. And then all that day, uh, I was just, uh, you know, I didn't know Robin. I met him a couple of times, but I didn't know him at all. But in a way, I felt like, you know, I had been being uh, at least the Blue Genie character mm-hmm. for Disney for quite a few years before he passed. And, uh, and I always felt a, a, a connection to him because he had actually gotten his start on my mom's show, Happy Days. I felt very close to him because he came to prominence when I was in high school and I saw it happen and I was like, oh, my God, he had, uh, you know, what I conceived to be a similar skill set. Chops, yeah. Chops or interests, let's say, and, and obsessions with the accents and voices and characters and quick changing and mm-hmm. all that stuff. And I went, oh, OK, well, he beat me to that. And he, he, <laughs> but he actually beat me to something that I couldn't even conceive existed. You know, so uh-huh. if you, I think that's all fair. If somebody goes ahead and does something beyond your imagination, then you're like, oh, well, I can, certainly can't hold it against the guy. <laughs> that's right. He was a complete trailblazer. I remember yeah. when uh, Proctor and Bergman were touring, we were uh, we played in Aspen, or the Aspen, as I like to call it, and <laughs> he had just performed uh, at the place we were performing at, and he was the talk of the town. Yeah. He said he could improvise yeah. with anything. He was amazing. And I, I'm very happy that I did get to meet him and uh, hang out with him when he was doing Mork and Mindy and he and he would do I mean he, he, he'd, he'd tape a show or rehearse a show or something and then he'd go out and improvise with a group of zanies in a, in a club at night yeah you know, yeah. this, the indefatigable energy. Right. Well, as performers, I think we understand that because people people always come up with us after a play and go, are you just exhausted? You yeah. know, they look at it as a kind of a, a quantitative activity where creativity is not really that way. It, it you're, you're The artist is often creating something out of nothing. They're creating energy out of nothing. They're creating, uh, you know, aesthetics and so forth, literally from there's nothing there at all. And so it's not like they've you've now tapped this and and expended your entire reserve. And you're now effete and spent. It's it's that you're like, no, no, you know, now I'm just getting going because this flow has begun. (laughs) And it's jazz musicians and all these people, they stay up all night. Sure. Sometimes assisted by by illegal chemicals. And also, I mean, (laughs) it's very energizing to do what we do when Mm -hmm. you when you perform, especially if you're supported by an audience that understands what you're doing. And there's help is kind of like the the, the waves underneath your surfboard. Mm -hmm. You know, when it's over, you're and it's always always goes back to surfing with you, Phil. <laughs> I have a surfeit of other uh, metaphors. <laughs> uh, let me just say something. Jim is a director, a writer, an artist, a voiceover artist, a graphic artist, a cartoonist, a musician. Uh, well, I sing. I played the ukulele a little bit. What have I left off? I'm also an unemployed actor, unemployed writer, <laughs> unemployed artist, unemployed <laughs> and fine artistry. That's well, yeah, your first trained. love, right? Yeah. Well, uh, yes, I, I did. I wanted to be a painter uh, and an artist when I was a kid, and I finally did get some fantastic painting instruction, which changed my life. And then, and then once you know, you go down a path because you go, "Hey, this path looks great." Yeah. And then you think, "Oh, this will be it." And then you go down the path and you go, "Wow, well, okay, I learned how to do that." kind of lonely 
Maybe well, a little yeah. lonely path. Yeah, that's I right. I'd rather be on the path where there's some other guys on that. Tell me about the transition. I was struggling with this problem in my in my twenties of what path should I devote my entire attentions to? You know, when mm-hmm. you're young, you feel like everything's very desperate, and you know it's very you know clear. You have to go one way or another way, and I don't know. I felt that way. And, and indeed, you know, if you're going to be a painter, you're going to spend hours and hours in the studio. If you're going to be an actor, you're going to be spending hours and hours doing that, reading plays, rehearsing, learning yep. lines. And so I, I felt very frustrated because I loved both of them. And I thought, well, you know, something in me dies if I don't pick the right one. Mm. And um, I was very confused about it, frankly. And, and there, I had a moment of clarity when I was in Madrid, Spain. I had just come off of... Uh, being just a painter and, and studying and being with friends in, in the countryside of Spain for quite mm, a while. Beautiful. And uh, getting into all kinds of personal problems and <laughs> social <laughs> problems and everything else that you do in your 20s. And uh, and then I was walking down the street and I was looking at the uh, the posters that were up in Madrid at the time. This tells you when it was because they were uh, posters of uh, the king of comedy, El Rey de Comedia. Uh, in, that was the Robert De Niro Scorsese film that was just going to start opening, right? King of Comedy. And I was looking at those posters and going, man, that's, I want to see that movie. I I, look, I dig that, those actors. I dig that that kind of filmmaking. And, and I'd just seen Mean Streets at a revival house. And I'm like, yeah, well, I want to see that movie. And I walked down the street. And the, I don't know, two minutes later, I ran into Harvey Keitel <laughs> in Madrid. What? Oh. Yeah. And... Uh, I stopped him and talked to him a little bit. He was very nice. He, t- he chatted me, you know. He's a very convivial guy. He was <laughs> like, oh, I'm here shooting a movie. It's exciting. I'm staying here with the, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and, I, and I, you know, he maybe spent two minutes with me. And then I, we separated. And, and I noticed that my heart was just pounding out of my chest. Wow. The excitement of that chance meeting was, was just like, wow, devastating to me. Wow. And I had the presence of mind to go, huh, that's interesting. I'm really excited by that. I'm excited by this man and that his job and his art and 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 I've been around a lot of really amazing painters and I've seen some amazing stuff, but I didn't have my heart bang out of my chest uh. that way. Noto bene, you know. Let's pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. And so I, at that moment, I made this decision. I went, oh, okay. Oh, I will. I will be an actor. Wow. Because I'd been struggling with that question for so long. And I was like, it was like the tipping point, I guess you might say. And then I immediately made plans to move to New York City and start my acting career. When was Impressionism of interest to you? When were you impressed by Impressionism? <laughs> well, you know, as a kid, I used to watch uh, TV and I felt myself like I felt so lucky if by chance I happened to turn the TV on and Rich Little was on. Oh, yes. Or someone like that. But I mean, Rich Little's kind of like the guy. He's like the Elvis of yep. Impressionists. And, uh, and, but at the time, I just enjoyed the hell out of it. And I thought, ooh, you know, but I never thought, wow, you know, that could be me. I could put on a tuxedo mm. and be on a dais with celebrities. And I never had that dream. I never had that thought. It was just a thing to play with. I never had that ambition. And indeed, I kind of neglected it as a, uh, I don't know, a, a, a branding thing or a path well into my adulthood. Uh-huh. And, but I always did it. And when it came up, I could provide it. But I didn't like go, hey, I'm the impressionist until you know I was in my mid-20s. And then I would kind of let it go because I wanted to be an actor. That was my main thing. Yep. I didn't want to be the guy in a comedy club. I never played comedy clubs. I don't care for comedy clubs. I don't go to them. I 
just not crazy about them, you know. I respect it, but I don't. I don't go to it, and mm-hmm. I don't ingest it. So uh, later on, though, I started to realize after years and years and years, like you know, these moments when I've had big successes and big peaks and big bunch of interest mm-hmm. always were accompanied by, oh, you were doing impressions, uh-huh. and I went, ah. But it took me decades to go, ah, <laughs> so I've been quite thick headed about it. But then, you know, so at a certain point, though, I went, all right, you know what? It's a discipline point. Mm-hmm. Whether I care about it or not, whether it, it floats my boat, I must do impressions because this is what propels me. Uh, you nurtured it. You didn't let go of it. Yeah. You didn't, you know, uh, try to escape from it. And. And then you found the path. I found the path. And then I had all these crazy breakthroughs. Like just, uh, you, you were so kind. You came to that first Jim Pression show that I did in, in Hollywood, on uh, Hollywood and Western, where my wife's right. school used to be. And, uh, you know, I had written this thing. It was really hard to put together. Oh, and then, yeah. you know, of course, we could talk about this artistically. When you're in a, the foreign land of this has never been done before, and it's a kind of a dream, and it's only existing in your mind, you have the wonderful, of course, we all know about the wonderful feeling of creation, and that's great. But you also have this, I noticed, this kind of low-level fear of, like, I'm all alone out here. Absolutely. I don't, I, this might really suck. Or <laughs> right. Reveal me to be a fraud or, you know, yeah, you know all right. this weird fear. And you're like, no, no, I'm just alone. Okay, fine. Let's do it. Let's yeah, have it yeah. be bad. You can always paint. Yeah. <laughs> I, everybody came to opening night. But then I had like a couple of other weeks. I'm like, I still need to get people here. And as you know, Phil, getting people to a live show in L.A. is, you know, very competitive, very difficult. So I went, well, maybe I'll do a video of this Shakespeare thing that I've always done on stage where I take this uh, speech from uh, Richard III and I do it in celebrity voices as they call it out. You know, I'll put that on the little video, try to promote the show. So I spent a couple of days doing the video because it was hard to do, not mm. to perform the speech, but to remember the celebrities. Ah. Because it, when I did it in my stage show live, I would have people call it out. I oh. never had to remember anything except for what's you know what's the next line of the speech. So it took me a couple of days to actually do it, and I think I had to put up cheat notes like, okay, it's Morgan Freeman next, and Johnny Carson's coming up. Okay, good, and Ron good, Howard. Sure. Uh, and, and I finally did it. I put it up. on oh, Okay, great. Then we went to see the Eddie Izzard show at um, at uh, Hollywood Bowl. Oh my God! And it was packed. They added a show, and I looked around. And I went, "How many people at the Hollywood Bowl?" And I looked it up, and like seventeen thousand seats, about seventeen thousand people. And I went, "You're a stand-up comic for seventeen thousand people. That that sounds pretty twice. good. Twice, twice. <laughs> that sounds pretty good. That sounds about right." And I just sort of kind of went, well, "I could embrace that. You know, if I was doing my show, I'd like to do that." So I go home that night, and my my video, my little Shakespeare video, mm-hmm. has like seventeen thousand something views. Uh-huh. And I'm like, ah, wait a minute! Hmm. And people came. It was full. I added shows. It was, and and I began to be a YouTube person, mm-hmm. you know. And and that eventually went up to over a million views <laughs> over well, over and- a few years. But it, it made me realize there it is again. Yeah. If I do the impressions. Stuff happens. They will come. <laughs> they will come. <laughs> is impressionism something that's just a gift, or is it like ventriloquism, where you have to really work at it? It's it's both. I think. I I mean, it's hard you know, from the inside. I don't know how to analyze what's a gift, what's me. I, all I know is I am interested in it to the degree that I will listen in a particular kind of way, and I will noodle around with my voice the way a, mu- a musician does. Mm-hmm. And so that I know the parameters of where I can go and uh, what sort of sound I can create. And uh, 
and what sort of sounds, you know, very high-end things that I can do. I'm very comfortable knowing the limits of my voice. So, and then I'm just interested in people and characters. I'm interested yeah. in viewpoints. I'm interested in Patrick Stewart's attitude. I just like, it's nice to become him for a second or two <laughs> and to experience that. And, and so I think I, whether that's talent or just I'm interested. The, you know, Michael Jordan goes out as a kid into his backyard and shoots hoops for four or five hours a day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's interested. Was he born with something? Probably. Yeah. But it's not uh, It's not all biology. I Practice think makes perfect. It sounds like it's almost as much of a listening exercise as it is yeah. a projection. Yeah. Listening. Like, well, these days, like, you know, like Phil, I get auditions all the time sent to me by my agents, and I get a lot of voice matching stuff sent to me. You know, I get mm -hmm. an email that says, can you do this actor? I've never heard of this actor. Who is this? And you hear a little snippet of something that they have to replace from a movie. Uh, like recently, I did Roy Scheider's voice uh -huh. for his last film that was never finished. <laughs> and I was like excited about that because for me, it's a game. It's yeah. like, can you, it's my hole in one. If I can do a recording and, and someone says that, that sounds like Roy Scheider. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I feel like I score. And sometimes it, 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 it bites me in the ass because, you know, you go, oh, okay, I wonder if I could do this voice. Yes, I could do it. Oh, this is a crappy job. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> these are people I don't want to work for, you know, oh. which happens sometimes. But the game of it, you know, the game's afoot. Now I, I'm going to ask you a question about this. I speak a lot of languages, right. you know, You're a and, and I do a lot of dialects. Yeah, a lot. Uh, and brilliant. That's because I feel I always felt like I had a little tape recorder in my head. You do, right? And is that, now, have you had a similar kind of feeling? You know, you hear something. Absolutely. And then, well, if you can't play back, if you can't recall things, yeah then you're, you can't really do this job. You can't really, I mean, any artist has to recall things, even if they're like, you know, David Hockney has to kind of go, you know, Yorkshire, where I grew up, it's like there's these trees and this road, and I'll take it back to the studio and noodle around with it. The light was kind of lavender. You know, he's got to be able to have a mental picture and a library of, of great things that he's- now You have on. created a character who is an art Teacher, critic, historian, really. Oh, he's an historian. He is uh, a Jack, historian. Uh, Professor Nestor Jack Dorff. Jack Dorff, yeah. Right. And Jack. I can't fully do his voice without the fake teeth. Oh, that's <laughs> true. I'm doing that's my right. best. That's right. My teeth are a little too groomed. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, he, and he's at, what, uh, not loudmouth. Uh, ox, oxmouth. Oxmouth. In England, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely charming. And in, in your show, again, you ask for suggestions from the audience as to what it is that he's looking at is it a statue yeah this is another is thing I, I discovered uh, you know people say hey will you come and entertain at this thing and you're like yeah what the hell am i gonna do <laughs> and i i thought up this i had this character nestor jackdaws who's based on an actual professor i had in college uh -huh. named jasper rose who was just fantastic and my character has turned into a very weird version of him funny but, caricature yeah uh, yeah it's, it's completely but charming completely different chap but um uh, i had this idea of like well if i get an audience the audience gives me the suggestion of a title of a painting or a work of art and then i just sort of project it in the air and describe it mm -hmm. so that they eventually see it and i tried it out it's pretty and magical people loved it and and and, I, and then i still neglected it and then i did it again and people <laughs> loved it and i went oh, okay yeah 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 and then i did it enough times to go all right you idiot people really like this so maybe you should do something more with it it, a lot of his characterization is, as well as just spot-on mimicry. I guess, yeah. I mean, the way I approach it is the Ross Marquand, and I have talked about this a lot, is that you, you know, an actor tries to be 
that character. So that means yeah, anything that you observe or can uh, receive from that person, physicality. If I've only heard the voice of the guy and I've never seen him, then I only get that uh, amount. Hmm. But if I have like, you know, like Jack Nicholson, I've watched Jack Nicholson yeah. since I'm a teenager. I know what he's doing with his wrists <laughs> and his ankles, for God's sake. And you're, you're Robert De Niro. I mean, you're, De Niro as well. Same yeah. thing. I mean, yeah. long time, long time watching him. And, uh, you know, how he's not very impressed in general. How does how you feel about somebody or like about oh, that affect your impersonation it does you know and i tend to just do guys that i really respect and love uh the, the affinity is very high and where the affinity is high you understand more about the person and can communicate like them right that's just that's just the hmm. way things work the people you hate you don't really understand them mm -hmm. they don't understand you mm -hmm. the, you can't communicate with them and you know, then, then you know, if, unless that changes, unless that that formula changes, and you can get more communication and more understanding, the affinity is just going to hang by the in the basement like that. You, you don't want to embody them any more than you want to hang have out with them. I don't want to have anything to do with them. Yeah. yeah, you know, like it's interesting. Yeah, and and sometimes we, uh, <laughs> well, there's certain impressions that we used to do, certain voices that we don't do anymore. This is a Bill Cosby thing that we just don't oh, touch yes, anymore. Oh, that's right. The pudding. You know? yes. The pudding. We don't, it has a whole other meaning now. I know. Isn't and that something? Even Kevin Spacey. You know, there are guys that we just kind of, you know what? Maybe we don't do that yeah. impression anymore because yeah. it means something else. And, mm. uh, and it has a lot to do with how audiences feel about them, too. You know, like uh, I, I have a friend, uh, John D. Domenico, whose name I always say wrong, and he is a specialist <laughs> in Trump and has toured the country as Trump yep. and was touring the country as Trump prior to 2016. And, you know, he just has been riding this wave uh, of, of going around and doing it for pro-Trump groups and anti-Trump groups. I mean, he, yeah. his act apparently is, is adjustable <laughs> to, uh, you know, the, the extremes. Uh, so, but so that's an example of someone riding the wave. The wave, right? That very is well. interesting, and you're very aware of that, obviously, from what your audiences tell you. Yeah, right. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I, I don't feel like I've uh, got a huge audience, really. That that is. Uh, hanging on my every word when people comment on my youtube videos i eventually get back to them because it's just we've de i've developed all kinds of little friendships with yeah. people that is actually one of the ways that people have friendships these days that's right. online friendships is, that is, is absolutely a right big deal and these are people that consume my content every day they watch my fortune cookie videos they comment on it they they engage <laughs> and i'm like oh great I'm, I'm happy to talk to you you know one day maybe we'll meet i actually started doing um kind of zoom hangouts with my youtube oh, fans that's uh, nice you know six or seven people show up but 12 people show up but we see each other we can talk and that's interact very nice. and hopefully it's exciting for them and i like it because i i do better with lots of uh interaction yeah. uh, i loved living in new york city because it was so different oh, from yes. la you know in, in in new york city as you know at any given time you can walk down the street and you can have 10 conversations yeah. and, and have 10 different points of view. Yeah. And, and, see, and, and see different characters moving around, you know? It's the richness of life to me is their viewpoints and your interaction with them. It's just so exciting. They're not in cars. New York City is, is a pedestrian city. It's a pre-combustion engine city. That's true. And it goes as fast as you want it to go. Mm -hmm. If you're running here, doing that, grabbing a slice of pizza, uh -huh. doing this meeting, <laughs> everybody's accelerated so the in-passing conversations are quick. 
Mm-hmm. But they're That's true. rich. Right. Because that. You mean the ones you overhear? Or are you even engage? Are you engaged? Yeah, both. That's I love the ones you overhear. You catch yeah. a snippet of it. And then it fell off the side of a head. I mean, the doctor should have. <laughs> That's, That's right. all you get. My favorite New York story was uh, I was going to have breakfast at a Greek restaurant on 8th Avenue. Uh-huh. And I'm walking along, and some pedestrian goes in front of a car, and the car screeches to a stop. And he's, the guy leans out and says, Fuck you. And the guy who's almost hit says, Fuck you. And two people walking across the street. <laughs> completely detached from this go fuck you fuck you and then everybody laughed <laughs> wow the epitome of living that close to people all the time yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> now you are an actor uh-huh. what kind of roles have you been doing some really cool ones yeah I, I just got off of two big projects and and nobody's told me not to talk about them so good hell with it uh, i <laughs> i work with uh, sean penn and julia roberts on a show that's going to come out next year called Gaslit. And I it's a series? It's a series. It's a Watergate series. Oh, yeah. oh, wow. She plays Martha Mitchell. Oh, wow. Great. And uh, he plays John Mitchell. And uh, under a lot of prosthetic makeup. Oh. To the degree that when I met Sean Penn, and he came up to me and said, hey, I'm Sean. I went, you are? <laughs> <laughs> what a Washington power couple they were. Yeah. Martha Mitchell. Well, it's very interesting. I'm going to go out on a limb here a little bit. And you guys are so sharp and intelligent. I've, I've been very pleased to work on a very few interesting dramas that are based on historical events. I did a Paul 13, and that was fascinating. And then you research it, right? And you find out all kinds of stuff about the space program. Then I, earlier than that, I did Inherit the Wind. Now, Inherit the Wind is a popular play that everybody loves and has great dramatic moments and and it's based on true events well when i was on inherit the wind i made the mistake of researching the true event and i found that you know inherit the wind is a really great play it really has very little to do with what actually happened in the scopes trial ah. and what it all means and the whole message of it this is, is very, the scopes very different. monkey trial right yeah the scopes monkey trial but i continued to research anyway and and in this one the watergate thing i'm like watergate yeah you know i was a kid when watergate was happening uh, you were a college student right or, yeah. or just out of college yeah just so i for me it was i remember all these names and i remember the faces because mad magazine <laughs> always was lampooning these guys right. and they had such amazing faces nixon nobody has ever looked like nixon no, except, maybe, except maybe joe walsh and uh <laughs> john mitchell and hubert humphrey all these strange characters that, yeah. we, that we had shoved in our face and i was trying to draw them all the time because <sighs> mad magazine was drawing them mort drucker was drawing them so i was aware of watergate but i like you know what I'm 62 years old now. I don't really remember what Watergate really was. It's just Watergate over the bridge to you. (laughs) Exactly. So I began to do a little bit of research. They said, well, this movie, Gaslit, is based on a podcast. So I tried to find that podcast. I thought, well, I'll listen to that and get some information about it. I was playing a senator, and I had some really, really nice scenes uh, that you'll you'll see, I hope. And uh, I, I, I thought I found the right podcast, but I found a different podcast. And this different podcast... I have to just say, it's called uh, uh, The Mysteries of Watergate. And it it blew my mind. This one research, now it's one of the worst produced podcasts I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> it's as if the guy could say three words and had to cut and it's all cobbled oh. together. There's all this noise and things. Oh, like our, like our show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the information in it is absolutely mind-boggling and it spins Watergate completely on its head, mm. completely. Not that Nixon was, oh, he turned out to be a, a, you know, just an innocent victim. It's, it's more complicated than that, obviously. But the fact that, that the CIA 
were all over Watergate. Oh, yeah. And the Washington Post was basically trumpeting CIA information. Mm. Fascinating. But it made me think, once again, here I am involved with this thing. I was so happy to be part of it. And now I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what this is about. This is about making a <laughs> living and playing the scenes well. That's but, right. You know, it's it's not a, there's no virtue signaling. No, going you on have to thing. immerse yourself in the moment. Gaslit. Gaslit. When do you think that's going to be out? Don't know. Uh, next year sometime? I mean, it's vast. And the way that they're shooting these limited series now, some of them, two of them that I've been involved in, uh, they have a like eight episode arc. They're basically shooting them all at the same time. It's yeah. like a they're shooting a eight hour movie. Yeah. And so I, I can't imagine how they put that all together. You've been in five Ron Howard pictures. I have. I've been in five, five Ron Howard films, yeah. And I hopefully I'll be in uh, a few more. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I just saw Ron recently. Of course, he and his brother have released a book, mm -hmm. a memoir called The Boys, which is absolutely fascinating mm -hmm. and charming and uh, great. Uh, their parents were awesome. Rance and Gene Howard. I knew them both. I uh, worked with Rance on The Grinch, actually. We spent a lot of time together. And Rance was, uh, he uh, he grew up on a farm. So he was real uh, salt of the earth guy. <laughs> they were actors mm -hmm. from Oklahoma. And they started a dynasty. You know, both their young kids were stars of, of hit TV shows That's in the right. 60s. That's right. And they split up and one had to go to the, uh, the East Coast. One had to stay on the West Coast in Burbank to help with the kids. And those are two examples of, like the only two examples that you can readily think of, of, of child actors of that period who did not flame out, who did not, mm, you know, true. go down some weird, crazy, dark path. And, and Ron Howard became, uh, you know, the head of a, a dynasty and uh, is still an unbelievably great director and innovator. Yeah. So it's when a great story. So when you're on the set with him and, and you can't help yourself but to do an impression. <laughs> oh, I can help it. Very good control over that. <laughs> the question is, when you do their voices, sometimes to their face, do they do they hear you? Well, I, I don't because in the same way that when you hear your recorded voice, you go, there's a moment of foreignness. There's a yes. moment of disassociation. Uh, when an impressionist, no matter how good they are, first of all, they're they're still leagues away from what the guy actually sounds like the best voices that i do if you put them side by side with the original there's a huge gulf there there always will be but for entertainment purposes you just need to really infer strongly that mm. voice and that character and then people are like that's the enjoyment we're going to get out of it mm -hmm. in more practical aspects like in a movie where we're trying to replace somebody's voice and we do not want to break the illusion that's right then we have to really hunker down and use every shift that we can to make it uh, match very, very well. But uh, first of all, I don't do uh, impressions, if I can possibly help it, to the person themselves because uh, it can't but come off as a bit of an evaluation to the person. Mm -hmm. You know, you're mocking me. Even if my intention is great, there is a mockery uh, quotient, I think, that is kind of unavoidable. So I, I don't want to make it's a, a caricature. It's a caricature, yeah. And even if I'm trying to be dead on. Now, I broke this. I, I, so I had a policy about that. I don't do it. I don't want to do it. I run into celebrities every now and then, and I'm not going to go, hey, you know, I do your voice, and you sound like this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't do that. But I did break it out of, out of just stupid enthusiasm. I went to a studio one time, and I rounded the corner, and there's Sam Elliott. Mm. And I had just done a Sam Elliott kind of read for something like 
something that he should have done probably a trailer or something anyway and i was like whoa i was so excited and such a fanboy and i went oh you know i was just doing your voice and you know, i was doing sam elliott and i'm doing sam elliott to sam elliott and he was so charming he just listened and you know and he went well you can really get down there can't you <laughs> and then and at that moment the penny dropped and i went you idiot what are you doing what shut up leave the room our voice is is going through our bones mm -hmm. in our head mm -hmm. so we always hear ourselves differently yeah if you ask uh most people if they like the sound of their voice yeah. unless they're people like us in broadcasting and in entertainment most people do not like like have antipathy towards their own voice. I've never felt that person <laughs> in my channel. Uh -huh. People keep saying to me, you should do voiceovers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you also recently worked with Al Pacino. Well, I didn't work with Al. Al was working somewhere else. You know? <laughs> he was uh, on the East Coast. I was on the West Coast. I worked on uh, uh, this show, Hunters. And it was a really great experience, and I get to play. Uh, I can't say anything about it because it's too much of a spoiler. Sure. But I got to play a German judge. Ach, this lieber. was great because for me, you know, as as you know, again, like making the whole in one with an impression, you like to be able to be convincing with an accent. And I feel very confident with the German because I've done actually many commercials and other things with this. Is there a voice that you can't do? Or? Many. Most of them I can't do. I mean, you're talking about billions of people on this planet. Can I can do, do Jack about Lemon? 60. I, well, as a matter of fact, I can, Phil, and I'm <laughs> glad you had. You know, the thing about Jack Lemon uh, is that he shifted gears all the time. I mean, he would be up like this, and then he'd come down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got to replace his voice in Glengarry Glen Ross. Oh. For the, well, this is a funny thing. For, you know, that's a very color. The language is very colorful, fruity, to say the fruity least. Fruity language. Right. Yeah. And, and they had to, by contract, supply a version of it for airlines. So he did his airline. So, story. yeah. And the, the very clever way, <laughs> the words that they would come <laughs> yeah. up with to replace all the naughty words. What were some of the words? Oh, my God. Well, friggin', of course, is always very right. big. What the what the freak is that? Yeah. You know, I actually wanted to save that. I've lost the script because I was so impressed. I told <laughs> him, this is fascinating that you did this. <laughs> my favorite ones are cake sniffer. <laughs> Which is great because there's something nasty about a cake it does sound nasty. <laughs> it's almost as nasty as the word it's replacing. Yeah. But not quite. And the other one is monkey feather. Monkey feather. And I've heard huh. monkey feather used, uh, uh, I think it was on the, uh, the, the, the sanitized version of the movie Traffic. Ah. And Don Cheadle called somebody a monkey feather. <laughs> and I thought, that is a great word. Have you ever uh, counted up how many impersonations you do? Well, I, I did kind of have to count them up because I had them on a list. And, and I, uh -huh. I, I, again, though, they, it ebbs and flows, you know, because mm -hmm. I, I add new ones off, I take some away. Yeah. So it, it's in the 70s, I'd say, in the 70s of, of ones that I can kind of bang, you know, just do. Yeah. Uh, others I have to kind of warm up into a little bit or others I, I, I like. I got to refresh my memory. But YouTube is such a great resource for that. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, if I want to study somebody i just like last last night, last night okay so last night I was, I was watching michael keaton get interviewed and i realized ah that's good that's interesting yeah he's got an interesting voice he's got a interesting sort of um delivery you know ah, yeah anyway and so <laughs> i i research that way and you can kind of get a lot you get a lot of data from youtube you can get a lot about that person particularly if it's not them playing a character but them being interviewed i go to the interviews right to see them what's the raw material 
that's another thing that I admire about you. If you go to uh, to Jim's YouTube site, you talk about acting. You talk about the process that you're in in your life. Yeah, I've got a little series called Actor Tips. Yes. Yeah. Right now, what I'm working on is I'm I'm creating an online course about impressions and voice acting, and uh, I was approached by a company that that wanted me to do that. So I'm uh, in the very. It's a very weird. Uh, sort of process to sort of say, well, what yeah, do right. I do that would help another person write it? And we've shot it all, so that's good. We did that during the pandemic, and it's going to launch pretty soon. One of the things that you've you've done also is you've kind of been on the cutting edge of technology in terms of expressing your talent of mimicry visually right. as well. With the deep fake, yeah. Boy, yeah. that's weird. I saw that. That was really extraordinary. <laughs> Yeah, it's still uh, it's still new and interesting to people. Although that video is now I don't know three four years old. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I the, the story of that was that I was approached uh, by email by a guy in England, a guy in Manchester named Shamuk. Uh, his real name is Sam, but his handle is Shamuk. I don't know why. I should ask him someday. And he uh, <laughs> he said, "Hey, uh, I've been looking for an impressionist to collaborate with with this technology." And I was like, what? And he had sent me a little clip of one of my videos that he had done a treatment to. Uh -huh. And I, I forget what he did, if he turned me into Morgan Freeman or he turned me my face into somebody. And it was only, I don't know, 10 seconds. Huh. But me and my family were just, we were just flabbergasted. Yeah, right? our jaw dropped. You were in front of a neutral gray background looks very simple and you start doing the imp your impressions it, yeah it's a poem i wrote called uh, pity the poor impressionist and there's just a suggestion well wait a minute his face is morphing my nose widens or my yeah. eyes change slightly and uh, and then it starts to get really extreme and <laughs> yeah. you know mustaches drop out of nowhere and yeah. uh, skin color changes entirely and yeah it starts to get more like hey wait a minute <laughs> well that's a technique called deep fake and it is i don't understand it but it has to do with uh, the fact that we can, um, you know, with celebrities, we have so much data that is available that they, the supercomputers can crunch all this information and take my face or another person's face and stick, you know, the parameters and the characteristics of that celebrity's face very seamlessly yeah. onto yours. How would somebody find this video? Well, you go to YouTube and type in uh, my name and deep fake. Uh, it's called Pity the Poor Impressionist, but uh, you'll find a lot of stuff if you just go to my channel and look up the, the deep fakes that are there. I've done several with, with that. That fellow now uh, became quite famous and now is working for ILM. So he got a good job for himself as a SFX guy. That's industrial light and magic. I was lucky to get in on the kind of the ground floor of that. I don't know how to do it myself, but I think it, it's in the in the short amount of time that uh, that I've been involved with it, it's already something that you can get in multiple apps on your phone to some degree. You have uh, an appointment. I do this afternoon. Fitting a fitting. I have a fitting of some of some uh, some decorative things that yes. I wear. Yeah, yes. yeah. I, I your own personal prosthetics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, when I started losing my hair uh, in my late thirties, I guess uh, I had an agent at the time I didn't work with for very long, but he he took me aside and he said, you know, do you think you could get a kind of a fuller hair look? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> You want me to grow my hair? No, no, no. Just a fuller look. And he was talking about getting a hairpiece. Right. And I think he eventually actually used the word hairpiece. And at the time I went, what's the matter with you? A hairpiece? Are you trying to, what do you, who do you think I am? Like it's an insult, you know, like, <laughs> you just, like, do you think you should dress up like a clown half the time? 
So because in my mind, a hairpiece was this kind of awful hairpiece that we yes. see on, on, on people where it just screams hairpiece, you know, yep. toupee. And so I didn't have the reality. Toupee or not toupee. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then I worked on the Grinch. And on the Grinch, they made me a little uh, Hollywood hairpiece. Uh-huh. A, a, you know, a, a net front, uh, mm-hmm. uh, lace front wig that was so intoxicatingly realistic that I, I stared at myself in the in the, my dressing room mirror for hours going wow look at that wow look at oh my god wow because I never knew and like a lot of us don't know that many of the actors that we watch for years and years are wearing you know David yeah. Niven David Niven wore a hairpiece right. who knew you know that, mm. wow I, all these guys you know tremendous people And but there is an art to it and when it's done well you don't notice that it's That's a hairpiece right. you just say what a wonderful full haircut That's that right. actor has right now <laughs> so I started uh Wearing a hairpiece for specific things. Now, I don't wear it all the time. If I get an audition and it's an insurance salesman, a, a dentist, mm-hmm. uh, a, you know, a politician uh, or something like that, I go, oh, I don't need a hairpiece for this. Mm-hmm. But when I do my impression show, I do like to have a little hair because yeah. I think it just changes the presentation and makes for a more neutral kind of palette, if you will, for the presentation of a lot of different personalities. It's just like any other device you would use yeah. in a performance. A nice clean shirt. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, or a good microphone, yeah. Sure. It's one. Actually. (laughs) Well. So I have to go to my my hair fitting. This has been as fascinating as I thought it would be because I've known you for quite a while now, and we love one another. Yes, we do, deeply. And we have a lot in common. A lot in common. You know? And uh, I'm, I'm, I hope that we've been able to share some of that with our listeners today. And I, I absolutely encourage you to go, uh, go to YouTube and take a look yeah, at what look Jim up is Meskimen. doing. It's quite wonderful. So thank you so much. And thank you for driving me here. Today. <laughs> my pleasure. My pleasure. It's uh, 34.98. Uh, <laughs> oh, all right, if you so, round up. All right. Here. Give me the thing. I'll, I'll write <laughs> yeah, it. There we go. There we go. Well, thank you, guys. It's really been fun. I appreciate it. This is Ted. And I'm Phil. Or something like Yeah. Bye. <laughs> You've been listening to Phil and Ted's Sexy Boomer Show, featuring Phil Proctor and Ted Bonnet and their special guest, Jim Meskimen. Music by Eddie Betos and the Nervous Brothers. To hear all the Sexy Boomer Shows, go to our website, sexyboomershow.com. Be sure to subscribe to the show for free and never miss an episode. I'm a earnest guy. Stay tuned for the next episode of Phil and Ted's Sexy Boomer Show, produced by RadioPictures.com, the makers of fine podcasts for seasoned hipsters, man.